0: When are we gonna talk about it? When are we gonna come Hello. together and clean up what we're like? Do you wanna talk about it? What would you I still wanna talk uh. about it. Hello, welcome to Let's Talk About It on WERU FM. I'm Patricia McLean, founder and president of the Maine based nonprofit organization. Finding Our Voices, which is survivors of domestic abuse, including me, standing proud and speaking loud.
1: I had a really good example of how not to be, but not a very good example of
0: how to be. So that gray area was hard for me, but I have the ability to you know, reflect and be like, I'm breaking this generational crap right now, but
1: it's hard. I was standing there, like, with this handprint still on my leg about half an hour later, a photo of it on my phone, and here's Oprah talking about DV with somebody on the television, and I'm sitting there checking every single
0: box of the warning signs of abuse. My guest today is Christy from Cumberland County. Christy is the Executive Director of the United States of America Maine Pagents. Welcome, Christy.
1: Um, Okay. So when I first met him, I was 21. Um, I I had been in a long-term relationship up until a few months before that. Um, So I was 21, single, you know, just out with friends type of thing. He, I actually knew who he was. We were from the same area. He didn't have a great reputation in our communities. A lot of people knew all about him. Um, So when I first met him, In person, he was actually going through a divorce. He had been married. Um, He he had a a mutual friend of ours. He wanted to meet me, so we met. And so this was back in 1993. How old was he? He was, if I was 21, he was 23. What kind of reputation did he have in town? Troublemaker, party boy. He had this little boy quality about him. There was just something about him, very cute. I had heard rumors about him, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, who knows if all that's true? Maybe they're not. So at any rate, I, you know, when he asked me to go out to lunch, I went with him and, um, and he seemed fine. But at the end of that month, we'd been seeing each other throughout the month at the end of that month. Um, I broke up with him because I caught him with another girl. So like caught him. So I, and he didn't want to break up and you know, whatever, but I, I did, I walked away from him. However, About three days after I broke up with him, I found out I was pregnant. So that's where my oldest daughter comes from, (laughs) but I did not get back with him. He was not involved in my pregnancy, nothing. We had zero contact, zero contact. I just basically said, go away. And he did. And so uh, I actually ended up back with the the relationship I had been in for a long time prior to him. And we got married and my daughter was born and, you know, Happy little family. Everything was great. Um, So it wasn't until about six, seven, six and a half years later, at the end of '98, I had left my then husband, and I look back at it now and think, "Oh my God, what a stupid reason to leave, because of what I went through later." But at the time, I felt like it was major. It was just issues with his mother, and he wasn't really standing up for us. Um, So I took my daughter and we left, and right around that time, I had, I had been out with friends one night and I, it was a snowstorm. So we went to a club and, um, there were maybe 20 people in the bar and I saw a couple of people I knew, but lo and behold, I'm standing there and someone comes up behind me and taps me on the shoulder and I turn around and it's him. And at this point in the six years, since I had last seen him, he had been in jail. He had gone to jail because, Right after I split up with him back in 93, he got heavily involved in cocaine trafficking, cocaine, like an addiction for himself, um, like criminal stuff, criminal things. And I knew about it because, again, we small community. People know each other. People felt the need to tell me these things. So I knew what had happened with him. So the first thing I said to him when he tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around was, aren't you supposed to be in jail? (laughs) After that pursued me a little bit. Um, showing up at my house because he had remembered why, because I was living at my mom's at the time. He remembered where my mom's house was. And, um, so again, me still having that same mindset of, okay, let's see. He's been to jail. He served his time. He lost his freedom. He got punished for all the stupid things he did. He's he might be better now. Like, I didn't think anything different because I didn't know anybody that had ever been to jail. So after a few weeks went by, I decided, you know, he wanted to go out to eat. I went out to eat with him. And he seemed like he had, matured from when we were younger, um, based on everything he had been through. And he's like, I, you know, he convinced me I'm never, would never go back to that life. You know, I, I, I losing my freedom was terrible, blah, blah, blah. He was confident, I guess, you know, he had on his gold chain and his pinky ring and his diamond earrings and his gold bracelet and <laughs> You know, very, like, very showy, you know, because he is a very materialistic person. Um, and I, that night that we went out to dinner, we ended up, we talked for hours and hours and hours and hours. And it wasn't until the end of the night when he showed me this little photo album that he had with him while he was in jail. And um, in the little photo album, he had a picture of me that... It was actually a newspaper clipping from when I had competed in Mrs. Maine. And then he also had a picture of my daughter listening to him talk and talking about her. And I, it was all, it got very emotional and at any rate he sucked me right in. We ended up getting back together. He didn't meet my daughter though for a while. So she didn't even know anything about him. She knew nothing about him. She believed that my first husband was her dad. We didn't live together for quite a while actually, I was at my mom's, he was at his parents. Red flag started probably six or seven months in. One minute he was happy and then within a second he was freaking. Um, and it turned out that he had started using cocaine again. Leading into like the following year, he was dealing again. Um, and, and, and he was on probation at the same time. He, had, he was on probation. He was going out of state. Well, ultimately he got caught out of state with drugs in the car and got arrested and um, eventually went back. About two months prior to going back to jail was the first physical abuse incident because it had been about a year that I'd been with him at that time. And tell me about the
0: first physical event. Uh,
1: We had just come from a photographer. Um, My daughter was on a baton team and she had had team pictures done. And so we left there and we were going to supper. And on the way, I forget, he got mad about something. I don't remember what it was but he was bickering with me about something. So when we got there, he, had, he was driving my car, so he had my keys. So we're walking through the parking lot, and he's walking away ahead of us. And I said, can you give me my keys? And instead of handing them to me, he just threw them down on the ground. So at that point, I'm like, nope, I'm not doing this. So I picked them up. I turned my daughter around, and we were going back to the car. I was going to leave them there. And so I can hear him yelling, hey, 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 where are you going? So I put her in the car. And then as I was going around the car to get to the driver's side, I got hit like I had been hit by a car. Like I got slammed. Slammed straight down on my face and the curb was there, hit my head. He had come running from across the parking lot and slammed into me as hard as he could. Slammed me down, my head hit the curb, my shoulder jammed up against the curb. I mean, I was bleeding, my hand was ripped open and like seeing stars kind of stuff. And very quickly, it happened very, very fast. But the two things that stick out to me the most that I remember was, first of all, him getting nervous for himself. You're okay. You're okay. You're okay. But the bigger thing that I remember, which ultimately trumps anything in that whole situation was the sound of my daughter screaming, please don't hurt my mommy. I mean, she is 28 years old now. And that sound is still in my head. You remember being shocked uh, that he would do that? Oh, I was, I was devastated. I was absolutely, I had never had anything like this in my life happen to me. I had never been with anybody like this. Like I had never experienced anything like this. So for me, I, I, my heart was completely broken, just completely shattered. And, and, and his only concern, it wasn't even the fact that I had to go to the hospital. It was, he was concerned because he was on probation And he was worried I was going to tell and they were going to arrest him like that. That was his concern, his only concern. From there, we went to his mother's house. I don't even know why, but we went there and. I mean, I was bleeding like I was bleeding. I couldn't move my arm. We went in the house. He stayed outside and and his mother came over to me. She's like, oh, my God. And she took me in the bathroom. And meanwhile, my daughter was in the kitchen telling his father what had happened. And he was outside and his father lost it. His mother was crying. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Now, these are the same people who enable him, that they're his enablers. They've always been his enablers. Was his father violent with his mother? Yeah, he was violent with his mother and all him and his five siblings. Yes. His dad was probably the most miserable person I've ever seen in my entire life. He, he was just a lump there. He ordered his wife around all the time. She waited on hand and foot. He was an alcoholic. He was a heavy smoker. I mean, it was... That household was just horror show and, and is one of six kids and he's the second to the youngest. So all his siblings and himself had witnessed this behavior their whole lives and had been victims of the behavior. Like they had been, you know, hit and whatever. She was in full acceptance of her life with, with her, her husband. She, she in her mind, this is how all women are supposed to be with their husbands. So because I wasn't that way with her son, she would tell me I was wrong. She would tell me in my face. I was wrong. And if, you know, like something like, you know, an incident with there was some type of abuse going on. She knew that that was doing this. She knew it, but she always turned it on me. Well, you're doing something to aggravate him. Well, that, you know, maybe if you wait, maybe if you cooked him more meals or maybe if you just not nag him about things or, you know, it was always back on me. I must be doing something wrong if this is how he's behaving. And did you start to believe that? No, I never that I never believed that I told that woman on many occasions because she would tell me that I was wrong for not putting him ahead of my kids, and I would look her right in the face and I would say, "No man is ever coming ahead of my kids. No man. I don't care who they are." Tell me about if we could go back a bit. So you walk in, you're bleeding. First of all, why didn't you
0: you know why you didn't go to the hospital? Why did you go to his family's house first? You know why why that happened? Um,
1: Well, he was so scared to go to the hospital. And I think because he was driving the car, I couldn't drive my arm was I was bleeding. So he was driving the car. So I think he was too afraid to go right to the hospital. And so we went to his parents, which ultimately for him didn't turn out well, because both of his parents lost their minds on him. When she was in the bathroom, she was cleaning me up. She was, you know, helping me with my bleeding and, and just sobbing. I'm so sorry, he did this to you. I'm so sorry. I think the fact that it was right in front of her, she had no choice but to react that way, right? Because any other time something happened, if she wasn't there to witness it, well, Christy's lying, you know? So I was right there, you know? So she, and I mean, a little six-year-old's not gonna make this story up. She knows what she just saw. It's very hypocritical, very hypocritical. Um, for, for both of them who has ha- have had this toxic household for so long to turn around and, and scream at their son for doing the exact same thing that's been going on with them for decades it wasn't until deeper into our relationship that I realized his mother was his enabler, you know, just based on the way she'd speak to me. And, you know, so, so the, at the point of that first incident of, of abuse, we were about a year in our relationship, um, which is a decent amount of time, but you know, so it was the very first time. So I think initially his parents, you know, were like, Oh my God. And I was not the first person that he ever did this to. He, he treated his first wife this way. There were other women in between. So, and he'd been arrested for those things. Okay, let's talk about that. So tell me about how you found that out, when you found that out
0: about his previous behavior and what was his previous behavior to these other women?
1: Well, he told me. <laughs> he told me himself, like his first wife, who is someone I kind of knew, she was a year behind me in high school. They had gone out for several years of and then they were only married about a year um, And she was very much a very submissive type of girl, very quiet, you know, so I'm sure that he completely just, you know, controlled her because she was so, you know, introverted. Um, But she, you know, she left him, she left him, she because they were going through their divorce when I first met him in 93. But he told me about cheating on her. He told me about a couple of times he knocked her around, (laughs) like he he told me these things. So I thought, okay, well, you know, that was them. I didn't think it would be me. One of the things that he had been arrested for when he went to jail, um, before we had met up again was assaulting a woman. And cause he had like five or six different things, charges. And that was one of them where he, he beat the woman. I knew who this woman was. I knew what she looked like. I knew what it was. He told me that he beat her in her face so bad that she wasn't even recognizable. He told me this. I'm like, what the heck? But because he had gone to jail for all these things. My thinking was, okay, he's been punished. He's going to be fine now. And at the same time, in my mind, he had never really had like a, I guess, a a really stable relationship with with someone who wasn't with him for what he could do for them or what he could give somebody. It was always like a materialistic type of thing. And that wasn't me. I fully believe that because he hadn't had any stability that I... I'm a fixer anyway. That's just how I am as a person with pretty much anything. I felt like if I could give him a normal relationship, you know, no materialism, whatever, that, that, that would be the best thing for him and it would help him kind of see the light that you don't need to be these ways. You don't need to be a criminal. You don't need to be abusive. You don't need, you can have a nice life. You know that that I had that in my head completely that I was going to fix him. That first incident of abuse was really the first big thing that had happened. Um, Up until then, you know, aside from the fact that he had gotten arrested out of state, you know, drug trafficking. um, But as far as to me, there was nothing, there was nothing negative up until that moment.
0: And so tell me about what happened. So that horrible physical thing, you're at the parents' house. Everyone seems to be like in panic mode kind of. And then what happened?
1: Um, From there, we brought my daughter home and we went to the hospital and to the ER. And we were there for a couple hours. And I, I just remember waiting in the room for a long time. And one minute he would be crying. I'm so sorry I did this to you, you know. And then five minutes later, he'd be like, threatening me. You better not tell them what actually happened. I mean, it went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until the doctor came in. And I ended up lying. I ended up lying. What did you say? I, I told them I fell on my own. Do you feel the doctor might not have believed you? What, what did you feel about that? Well, based on the way that... Was sitting there, he looking guilty as sin. Um, the doctor probably knew. Let me ask you another
0: question. What the hell is this? Is he friggin' sitting there in the in the, in the room? Don't you think that that
1: that, that you should have been alone with the doctor when the doctor asked you what happened? It's all about control. So he was going to be in the room, making sure that I didn't say anything I shouldn't be saying. Yes, but the doctors, My point is, these do- hospitals. I hope they're. I don't know if they're any different now.
0: But the, the the doctor should have said to him, You wait outside and talk with you and asked you what
1: happened. Right. Yeah. No, he didn't. You know, he the doctor never said anything like that. Just came in, kind of looked at my arm. I ended up having a sling because my arm was sprained or something. I couldn't move it for a week or so. And from there, I went home and then he left. And I we didn't talk for about a month after oh. that. Oh, okay. So how did you pick up again? Um, we picked up again because because of his arrest that he had prior to the the incident, um, he got he got back in touch with me to let me know that they were you know in, there was going to be a hearing and whatever and and so um, from there so it went very quickly he had a hearing not long after which I mean I was there with his parents but um, and they sent him back I didn't really get to interact with him much after. The fact of after the um, incident because he had he got basically taken right in on all these court things and then was arrested and then they got he got sent off so then I was placed in the situation where I had to make a decision on what to do do I do I stick around and support him while he's you know away and you know hopefully you know the second time he goes through this it'll be the it'll be the the you know the the thing that really, really helps him. Do I walk away? And because I'm a glutton for punishment, I stayed.
0: <laughs> How long was, was he sent to jail for this time?
1: It was two and a half years.
0: So he was going to be away for two and a half years.
1: Yep. Yeah. He went to Wyndham, the correctional facility in Wyndham and you know and i and i did make the decision to because, because the reasons for him being in jail had nothing to do with me they were from past stuff that happened before i was around uh, again this is me i don't understand, i didn't know anything about jail i didn't know anything about criminals i didn't know anything about abuse nothing this was all i was completely naive to this entire thing but my head said okay second time he's lost his freedom now he's got me he's got his his daughter these are incentives for him to finally leave this crap behind, you know, and focus on his family. So for two and a half years, so this is 2000. Now we're in like mid 2000, my life consisted of me going to work. I had my daughter, she, you know, cheered, danced, whatever, all her activities and going to visit him on Tuesday nights from six to seven 30 in Wyndham. I did this for two and a half years. What were the visits like? Um, it was in, it was like this big function room. We had to wait outside of a gate and, you know, go through metal detectors and, you know, dump our purses out. And the, the two gentlemen that were the 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 corrections officers who handled the, the visits, I mean, over time I got to know them. They were actually both really nice. They were older gentlemen and really nice. And they knew me by name and um, and then, so once you're in the room, you basically go sit at a table, everybody sits, and then they basically release the inmates to come in, um, because they have to be strip searched before they come in.
0: And what did you, uh, did you get to know some of the other women and did you find that some of the other women's
1: men in there were domestic abusers too, or? Um, it was a mix. I sat next to murderers. I sat next to pedophiles. I sat next to just like petty thieves. There were old men in there. And their little, their old, you know, old woman wives would come in and see them. He was actually a good inmate. He always had, he always got credit for, for being good. He followed the, he followed direction. He had a job in there. He made money. Um, He was always on his best behavior. He wrote me letters every day. Um, He would call, like we would write back and forth almost every day. He would call. And what
0: what were his letters
1: like? Were they romantic? Yeah. Yeah. They were really good. They were like. Poetic almost and, and heartfelt and talking about our future together and his goals for himself. And, you know, cause he did, he did do a little uh, group therapy stuff while he was in there for um, like addiction and things like that. He'd get certificates of completion while he was in there. We got married. <laughs> this is where it's kind of, it's kind of funny actually. Yeah. We got married. We were going to get married when he came home. That was the initial plan. But in the course of his time in there, he kind of persuaded me, let's get married while I'm in here. And that way, when I come home, we can have a baby. And I would wanted another baby. My daughter at that point was like eight or nine. So I'd want another baby for a long time. So he persuaded me to do this. We got married in the chapel there, which you never would have known where we were, except for the correctional officer that had to be in the room, who doubled as a photographer. His parents came. He got to wear his own clothes. So when he came home, we still hadn't, you know, I hadn't gotten a place for us together. So I was still at my mom's. He was still with his parents. Was it good for a while? About three months. And then we were right back to it. Cocaine, dealing, using, uh, physical stuff started happening. Just it, that whole stress thing was there again, all over again. And um, I had, over the summer, I had gotten meningitis. I ended up in the hospital with that. And he didn't, he couldn't, he, he's a big baby, just if he had a cold. So me getting sick, he had no idea what to do. And then at maybe two or three months after meningitis is when I found out I was pregnant with my middle daughter. And I actually had stopped working at that point, um, which he wanted me to stop working because he didn't love the idea that I worked in retail. He wanted me to get a real job because um, he did have a job. He had, he had a steady full-time job. Um, but he felt like me working in retail management. What is, uh, what was his job? He worked for, uh, wood structures in Saco. They, at the time they, they hired, like that was pretty much the only place he could work. He always had worked there even from the time I had first met him. Um, and they, they were known for hiring, you know, criminals that had served time and whatever. So who was supporting the family? Who was making more money? Was he making more money than you were? He was making more money. I, I made, I made enough where I could make my car payment and take care of insurance. Like, you know, there were little things that I took care of and then he was making more money than I was. So, and then when um, you
0: say, when you say that he, um, you know, he
1: wanted you to get a real job,
0: was that putting you down? Like, did he put your job down?
1: Yeah, that's exactly what he was doing. He was putting it down. He was making it me, you know, I had been working that job before I had met him, met with him again. So I, you know, I loved my job. It was, I loved it um but he he belittled it he belittled it and i eventually i when i found out i was pregnant with my middle daughter i ended up i ended up leaving um because i mainly worked in the stockroom area and i did a lot of lifting and things and i had a miscarriage earlier in the year so i was worried about that happening again so he was glad that i left retail but he, then he was mad that there was no money so it was like a do- catch 22 it didn't matter what i did he wasn't happy with it no matter what um and after after my daughter was born Um, I did after two or three months after she was born, I did try to get back to work again, but the problem was, is that uh, he wasn't helping me at home. He wasn't, he he would get, he would work three to 11. He would come home and he would drink all night, which meant he was in bed all day the next day. So I I couldn't, you know, I didn't have another option for a babysitter and we didn't want to do daycare. We didn't want to spend money on daycare. So he didn't leave me any option. You know, I had gotten a new job and I had no support from him. I couldn't do it. Because I had my my um, oldest daughter at that point was ten, and then I had the baby now. So I I would I I I, there was nothing that I could do to make him happy no matter what at all. He 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 loved the idea that we didn't have the kids in daycare and that that I was taking care of them. But at the same time, he hated the fact that I wasn't contributing financially. So he looked at everything as his completely one hundred percent his. This is his, these are his things and that's it. And that we were, um, oh, what was the word he used? Shoot. Uh, it wasn't sponging off of him. I, he, I forget the word he used one time, but more or less sponging off of him is what he accused us of doing. He would say it openly. He would tell people this. He, you know, b- basically made me out to be some sort of a idiot because I wasn't making money it, it was, it was, tr- it was tough. And of so course I got, problem. what did you say? I was going to say, and then three years later when my youngest daughter came, came along, it was worse then. So
0: <laughs> So if you look at like coercive control or apart from the physical abuse, can you think of some things that he did that were controlling or that were abusive, emotionally abusive, abusive? Well, what you just described was very emotionally
1: abusive. Were there other things that were emotionally abusive that he did? Yeah. Well, belittling You know, things that I liked. Like, for example, pageantry. That had been a part of me since I was 17. He knew that about me. He actually thought it was cool when he first knew me that I had competed in Miss Maine and that sort of thing. And so, you know, I had trophies. I had trophies. I had awards that I had won, you know, and they weren't like on display in the house, but they were in the house. And he broke every single one of them, tossed them, threw them down the stairs, smashed them to bits because they meant something to me. And he didn't want me to have anything that I loved to kind of make it look like, oh, he takes a back seat to that.
0: You are listening to Let's Talk About It on WERU-FM, conversations with survivors of domestic abuse. And I am your host, Patricia McLean, founder, president of Finding Our Voices, a grassroots nonprofit marshalling survivor voices and experiences to break the silence of domestic abuse community by community all across Maine. You can find us at findingourvoices.net. Let's return now to Christy, Executive Director of the United States of America, Maine Pageants. When did he first break one of your trophies? Tell me about that.
1: Um, It was not long after we got back, not long after he came out of jail and we had gotten our first place together um, because I had a box of them just sort of sitting in a corner. And I, I I don't remember what we were arguing. We were arguing about something one day. He got mad about something. and um, And he walked over to the box and he took one of the trophies and snapped it right in half over his knee. Now, meanwhile, he's got his trophies from fitness competitions that he did when he was really, you know, like, in, like 20 before I ever, ever, ever knew him, you know, all along his bureau like displayed full because he loves that kind of attention. I never touched, you know, I would never even think to do that. Right? What would happen if you had broken one of his trophies? What would you think would have he, happened? He, would, he He would have knocked me out probably like literally punched me. If I had ever touched anything of his that meant something to him, I would have had the garbage kicked out of me but it was okay for him to take something that meant something to me and destroy it. How many trophies would you say that he broke? About eight over the course of, you know, two, three years, maybe. Yeah. He took all the ones, like I had trophies from teen pageants I had done when I was, you know, 18, 19 and, you know, just accomplishments for me that I had done before I ever even knew him. And he, he was jealous of them. He would get jealous when I would give the kids attention over him he would get mad at me if I was in the living room and I had the babies or whatever. And I was playing with them or whatever. And he was sitting over on the couch. If I wasn't drawing my attention toward him, he would start a fight. What would he say? He would, he would say, you know, I'm in the room too, you know, or something to that effect. And, and I would look at him like, oh, I'm playing with bait, you know, it, it, just common sense. I'm sitting. Here. And then he would just take it like t- to another level. Well, oh, yeah, You don't love me. And, you know, it would immediately go from, zero to hundred. The, the thing that he would do, he would go for the neck every single time, hands on the neck, every single time there was any kind of physical altercation. It was slamming me up against a wall or down on the floor by my throat. And over time, I started defending myself. I would do whatever it took to get him off me. Like he wore glasses. So, I mean, I'd grab his glasses off his face or something, or I would knee him. Like he'd be in a good position where I could knee him down low. And sometimes I would hurt him. I would actually hurt him and he would every time run to the phone and either call my mother or his mother if he could crying christy hurt me if he called my mother and said christy hurt me she knew i was defending myself if he called his mother and said christy hurt me she would call the police on no. me no no yes. did the police ever arrest you I was never arrested, but I, you know, they would show up at the house because of her and I would explain exactly what would happen. And see, my, my husband had a record. They knew him at the police station. So that, that was knew- helpful. That was helpful. Yeah. They, they, they've had eyeballs on him for years. So they knew that what I was telling him was fact. That's what you saved know, you probably. Probably. Yeah. That, that he had a, you know, a record six inches thick. So they, they knew that I wasn't lying. And let me ask you, um, what was the worst incident? a physical worst incident. Do you, Does one come to mind? Yeah. Yeah. The worst, the worst one happened in our apartment when my, my middle daughter was, I think six or seven months old. Luckily my oldest was at school. I had just come back from um, bringing her to school. So she wasn't there. Um, like I'd said, he used to work three to 11 at night. So he'd come home at 11. A lot of times he would just When he'd take off his dirty clothes, he'd sling his pants over a chair in the kitchen and I would pick it up to do laundry. And so one morning after I'd gotten back from bringing my daughter to school, um, a pair of his jeans were over a chair and I checked the pockets because he always had a pocket knife on him. So I'd always have to check to make sure I take it out. Well, I found a bag of cocaine. I'm talking humongous. I'm talking gigantic bag of which I'm sure was intent to sell in the pocket. And now previous to this, I had, we had had a couple instances where I found small bags of cocaine throughout the apartment, which, which I had told him if I find this again, if I find any more in the, I'm I'm flushing it, if I find another one. So this is what I found. So in my head, I thought, okay, I already told him if I found this, any of this, again, I was going to flush it. I have to follow through on what I said. I have to, otherwise he's going to think I'm full of crap. And I knew in doing this that it was not gonna be good. I knew that, but I'm like, I've got to show him that I am not gonna take this garbage. So I flushed it. It was probably about $8,000 worth of cocaine. I flushed it. And so he got up and the first thing he did was come in the kitchen looking for those pants. And he said, he said, what did you do with the jeans I had over the chair? And I said, well, they're in the wash. And he said, did you clean out the pockets? I said, yep. And he said, well, what did you do with what was in the pocket? And I said, I did what I said I was going to do. And he immediately knew what I meant. He's like, you did not. And I said, yeah, I did. And so he went in the bathroom and I mean, it was gone. It was gone. And from there, yeah, he lost it. He lost it. He, he, it, it again, with the neck slamming me down, he was sitting on top of me. He, you know, the choking, he'd get up, he'd kick me along my, you know, my side. Like I, I, he was choking me so bad that I was like in and out. I I couldn't defend myself in that set because I was in and out. Uh, He'd stand up and kick me up inside, up and down my, the side of my body. Then he'd get back down again, choking. Um, He did this back and forth for probably 10 minutes. And of course, all of this woke my daughter up. She was just a baby. And so I was concerned because he had such tunnel vision in in the, in the zone he was in at that point. I mean, his eyes were red. I mean, it was like looking at the devil he, he just, he was in such a tunnel vision that he couldn't stop himself. I would, didn't want him touching the baby. I didn't want, so I managed to get myself up and I, and I grabbed her and took her in my bedroom with me because I did not want him touching her. Um, and he was just going off. He was just walking around the apartment, screaming, hollering. I mean, threatening my life, the whole, the whole thing. So I ended up calling his, um, parents and I said, you need to come get your son. He's going to kill me. And of course she was like, Oh, what'd you do this time? You know? And so his father came over. I told his mother on the phone what had happened. So his father comes over. So at this point I'm in the kitchen, I put the baby in her high chair to feed her. And he had gone off in another room. And so his father arrived. And so we were all in the kitchen and he was, his father was a feeble man, even back then. Um, you know, there was no way he could handle his son physically at all, but got, you know, running his mouth again. And he was like, just calm down, calm down. And he attacked me right there in the kitchen in front of his father. I mean, I had baby food fly all over the place. Um, The kitchen table like was sort of shoved to one side. I mean, he just tackled me in the kitchen down onto the floor. His father was screaming, get off or get You know, like he witnessed the whole thing. Baby screaming. I mean, it was a mess. And I got him off of me. I got him off of me. And he ended up leaving with his dad. Like they left and i and to this day i have no idea what was actually said once he got to his mother's house if like his dad actually said what he saw or or what but you know he was out of the house for a little while on that one but i i was like i had bruises all up and down the side of my body for a little while where i was very lame um and again it was it was humiliating it was and i'm thankful that my oldest wasn't home because that would have been awful for her to have been home for that one that that was probably the worst physically the worst as far as the the length like I was inches from him killing me I knew going forward from there especially that he was capable of actually killing me like there was no question in my mind So
0: there was there was a shift at that point because now you knew he could kill you
1: yeah and so what did happen was there anything that you did you
0: think do you started to think that you needed to leave did you feel trapped or what was your mind frame like
1: um, I felt a little I, I knew in my heart that like common sense, I, I really need to get out of this. But at the same time, you know, he had that control over me where he was the one making the money and I was not. And so I felt like, what am I gonna like how what would I do? Like, how would I even do this? Like at this point, we had just started the process of buying a house, um, which you know was a big deal for us to do. And you know, we had things on the horizon that we were doing and this happened, you know, right before all that. So, so I, I mean, I, I just ended up keeping going and it wasn't long after that, when the teenage girl that he was messing around with came into the picture, she called me and told me she was 18, he was 36 at the time. And she used to hang, she and her friends used to hang out at his work. Like they knew guys that worked there. So they just kind of, they were like groupies almost. And so that's how she met him. And she knew from the start that he was married and had children, but she, she had pursued him and a, he gave, you know, he went, he was enticed enough, I guess. And so this went on for a few months without me knowing before she finally, she called me because I guess he had tried to break things off with her. So it, her revenge was to call me. And so when I first confronted him about it, he denied it. But then I found proof because I, she had mentioned some jewelry that he bought her and I found that the receipt on our K Jewelers uh, account for jewelry that I didn't get. So, I mean, then he came clean about it. He did stop seeing her for a minute, but she was stalking me. Like she would not leave me alone. She knew where we lived. She was following me in traffic. She was calling the house. She was, it was awful. She was a kid. She, she had just graduated from high school and we were 30 some odd years old. So I, I had to deal with her. After he that, the, the worst
0: incident, how much longer were you married for after that? Let's see, Lacey was
1: six or so months, so probably another three and a half-ish years because my- And
0: how after- did it, how did it getting out, out of it?
1: <laughs> the, it's funny how they say when you're in this situation and, and, you know, you've put them out before, but you always let them back. And you, you, you hear people say, you know, you just, you know, when you're done, there's something in your yeah. head that just clicks, right? Yeah. And the thing that clicked for me wasn't even anything major at all. It was just a comment that he made about something. And it was, and I, and I knew the, the inclination of what he was saying, but, and I knew I was done. Basically what had happened was um, our oldest daughter who at that point was 12. She had been um, accepted at a, she'd been signed by a talent agency. And they had to do a photo shoot, which he was all for it. He was Super excited about it. He knew it was going to cost a couple hundred dollars to do the photo shoot. He was all about it. So there was this one night where I had, you know, cooked a really nice dinner and he loved the dinner and he went on and on ranted and ranted to rave about the dinner. So after dinner, he was sitting in the living room watching TV. And I had come in and I and I had said, Oh, by the way, I said, um, you know, the photo shoot is next week um, for the talent agency. And he looked at me and he's like, Oh, so what is it, a couple hundred? And I said, Yeah, which we had talked about already a hundred times. And he looked at me, he goes, I knew there was a reason why you made me a nice dinner. You just were trying to get money out of me. That's all he said. There was no threatening, nothing. That's what it took to get him out. The next day I went down to the courthouse and I got my protection from abuse order. I came home. I looked at him. I said, you have two choices. You can leave on your own or you can wait for the cops to come get you. And he, he was done. That was what it was. And that simple statement, which was not remotely anything like as major as the things that he had done to me over those years, that was the statement that made me go, I'm done. <laughs> and I, and I did not let him back. And of course my mom was like, you're going to let him back. Don't, I did not. And he tried, he tried, he tried big time. He, he begged and pleaded with me and Oh, my God. Yeah. For for months and months leading up to our divorce. And then when I actually went through the divorce and he was devastated, he's like, I can't believe you actually divorced me, (laughs) you know, crying about it. And and that's all it was. I I had to decide which is going to be the harder, harder situation for me, staying with him and potentially being killed or killing him myself or being on my own with the girls, struggling financially for a while, but eventually coming out of that, which is the better scenario? And I knew it was going to be a financial struggle. You know, we had the house, which luckily was in my name. The mortgage was in my name. So I was able to keep us in the house for a little while uh, by working with the bank. Um, And it was definitely a financial struggle. He wasn't, you know, helping in any way, child support wise. I had to, it was years before I got him into court for that. Um, But I, I knew, I knew at that point, if I don't get him out of here, one way or another, my girls are going to end up without a mother, whether I'm gone or I'm in jail one or the other. And those, those kids are the only reason that I made it through this entire thing. Because in the, in my mind, I knew I, I have to get through this. I have to get through this no matter what the situation was, because if I don't come out of this, he, he has them. They're his kids. He has them, you know, and their lives would be over. Like it would be done. I've spent the last 13 years keeping him away from them. Like he literally hasn't seen them since 2009. So, how, so does
0: that, how, how is that? There was no
1: visitation and custody and everything. Um, well, because I had a protection from abuse order in place even prior to the divorce, the protection from abuse order was what was used. So, by that, we were supposed to do um, supervised visitations, which we did try. My mom was the supervisor at my house. I would leave, and he screwed up every single visit. He showed up hungover. He showed up late. He showed up with a girl. Like he he violated all the rules that were set in place for him to have the visits with the kids. So I had to put a stop to the whole thing because he kept messing them all up. Um, and so then by the time we got to around the divorce time, because it was probably maybe seven months from the time we separated till the divorce went through, um, he and I were actually on speaking terms because we had to do our tax stuff, and I was bringing him pr- bringing the kids to his parents for them to visit with him. And I was there, I stayed there. And we were getting along fine. Um, and you know, he was being nice and the whole thing until he found out that I had met someone. Because uh, maybe a month before our divorce was going through, I did meet somebody, which I didn't, I mean, I, at, after I booted him, I figured I was gonna be by myself for my life because one of the things that he used to drill in my head was, no man is gonna want you with all these kids. That was the typical standard thing he would say to keep me from divorcing him. And so, you know, after hearing that for a long time, you know, I I would think about it like, yeah, what's the chance of me meeting anybody that's gonna wanna take on three kids, right? Like, that's pretty slim. Well, I did meet that person. Oddly enough, he he was there, there he was and and he knew I had 3 kids from the get-go who didn't see their dad and like he he knew the whole situation and he still wanted to be with me no matter what. He met the kids, it was several months down the road before he met my kids, but he and I were had started a relationship and so I told right after we got divorced about it and he thought I was making it up to make him jealous until a buddy of his saw me out with this man. Somewhere and told him. So he knew it was real. And so after that, when I would bring the kids over, he was threatening me. Boyfriends don't like it when ex husbands interfere, and I'm going to make sure I screw this up for you. Like that's what he was doing to me. And I'm thinking, I'll be damned if I've divorced him and I'm still going to be treated like this. No way. And I cut everything off with him. He was done. And that was the last time he saw the kids. There there was no way that I was going to be tortured when we weren't even married anymore. I didn't even have his last name anymore, which he was furious with me about because I changed, I went back to my maiden name. I didn't discuss it with him. I just, you know, it was done during the hearing. The judge announced it at the end of the hearing and he was livid, livid because he thought in his mind, he'd have that one piece to say, she's mine. She has my name. So when I took that back, he lost that control and he was livid. How, how did you end up like, how come the court didn't
0: order custody or visitation with him? because of the
1: protection from abuse order that actually took precedence over whatever was in the divorce. There was originally in the divorce decree, the divorce decree stated a supervised visitation at my discretion. So it was up to me. Like I had control over. That means
0: that the children must've had a protection from abuse order against him. Well, they were on it. Yeah. They were on the, Well, that's what made the difference. Got it. thank God for that.
1: Yes, they were on the order with if they me. Were not on the order, if they were not on the order, then I think you would have been out of luck. I would have been, but they, they were absolutely on the order with me. I made sure of that from the get-go, um, but I was trying to be nice, letting him have the supervised visits, but he screwed them all up and I'm not going to put the kids through that. You know, they had enough to deal with when we were married, so I certainly wasn't going to do this after we were married.
0: Okay, uh, so um, pretty classic, you know, you, you divorce the, the abuser and people who don't know think that's it. But my guess is that he didn't leave you alone. So it, it, tell me about that, the post-separation abuse. What, what's that been like?
1: Um, well, okay. So he moved to Florida, which was nice. <laughs> um, however, he's had people watching me all these years. He has what he calls his boys up here. And like, for example, when we first moved to Falmouth nine years ago, like he obviously knew where we were in Biddeford because we were still in our house. But when we moved to Falmouth, you know, he's in Florida. So he, you know, so he had people find us and there about three months after we moved, um, there were two or three occasions where we live in a subdivision. So if there's a random car parked, you know, facing my house, it's, it's suspicious, right? And so this happened regularly for about two weeks. And then um, there was one day I had left because my daughter had a doctor's appointment um, And he followed us. And I actually ended up taking a different route because he was following us. I didn't want him to follow me taking her to school. Does he frighten you still? The only thing I worry about, um, which I've always done since we separated, and and I knew it's not something he would do because he's in Florida and he would never put his mark himself on it because that means he would go to jail. But I've always been afraid that, like, I've had this vision of me being in my car Driving along and stopped at a maybe a red light or a stop sign and having another car come up alongside me and just blast me. I've always had that vision in my head. He um, he used to brag years ago about you know when he was heavy into the drug trafficking in his younger years about all the guns he had and um, possession. You know and while we were married there were no guns in my house but I'm almost positive I'm ninety percent positive that he did stash guns elsewhere. So. You know, when you're a drug dealer, having a gun is kind of the thing, like you always have a gun. Um, You know, he always carried a pocket knife. He held it to my throat on more than one occasion when he was mad at me. So, I mean, I had like for in my head, I had no doubt in my mind that he was capable of killing me in some way, whether he did it or someone else did it. So being that he's in Florida, you know, he's got people up here that he still communicates with. So it wouldn't it it would be nothing for him to say, follow follower or Blaster and and, and he's
0: got prison. He's got convicts, like people who have been in jail. Who he's associ- right. associates. Yep.
1: And so I, have uh, I have that fear to this day.
0: What would you say about your children? If how they've been affected by him, and and how it, has it impacted your relationship with your with your children?
1: Well, I will tell you that my my middle daughter, um, who is about to turn eighteen, she was four when I um, made him leave, and. He he told her things that kind of set off um, a, a like an, an anxiety for her that last has lasted through now. She still suffers from it. He told her back when I was getting him out that I didn't love her. He said, Mom doesn't love you. She's going to leave you at some point. I'm going to come back and get you and take you on a long trip. She was the favorite. She was his favorite of the three girls. Um, and and she and she loved him like she didn't know anything bad of him she's only four so he he told her these things so what ended up happening is once he was out of the house she had it in her head that I was going to leave so he was out of the house he was gone so what ended up happening is she started having um screaming panic attacks if she couldn't see me like if I got up to go to the bathroom and she didn't see me do that all of a sudden she's looking around and I'm not there and she would scream blood curdling streams and you know like crying and I would come out. and I'm like, what? And she just would grab me. And this, this went on for about a month because I had no idea exactly what was causing it at first. And so I ended up having to have her meet with a counselor weekly for several months to help her feel secure in herself and, and with me that I'm not going to leave her. It's okay. And, you know, and she eventually did tell me that, you know, daddy told me that you didn't love me. And, you know, I, eventually she told me what he had said. So so this created an anxiety in her very young and it's followed her like she has a natural anxiety in her where she it's and it, it's not her thinking about like me leaving or anything. it's just in general with anything. She gets panicky over uh, a test at school or or something like that, like where she just she's she's suffered with it right through till now she's about to graduate from high school. In 2017, at the end of 2017 is when he realized that my protection from from abuse order had expired, which it had expired earlier in the year. And he didn't apparently pay attention, but it wasn't until the end of that year that he realized and he started to pop up again, like up here. He was in Maine. He was calling my house. He wanted to come here with gifts for them, blah, blah, blah. So I felt like, okay, I might end up back in court again. I I don't know what's going to happen. But so I felt like at that point they were older now. I could maybe explain in general terms why he hasn't been a part of their lives. And my youngest, who was, uh, I don't know, nine, nine or ten at the time, I forget exactly. And she's got quite a little personality. When I started telling her, you know, he lives in Florida and she looks at me and she goes, in all seriousness, she goes, I thought he was dead. I explained a little bit about him. I didn't tell him details of things, but just uh, just. Let them know that the reason I kept him away was for their safety and their best interest. Being in court with him was like being at a comedy show because I basically could sit there and say nothing and I would still win because he would start running his mouth and he would just dig himself a hole deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper about everything. And the judge would be looking at him like, what? So it was pretty entertaining.
0: Did you ever end up telling your mother really everything that happened. Did she ever know the extent of
1: how bad it got? Yep. Yep. Because, um, I generally would call her. Okay. Something would happen. So she always knew she was aware. Um, and she, you know, she would, she would get into it with him many times and he would, (coughs) you know, he'd kind of give it back to her a little bit, but she wasn't afraid. She, my mother wasn't afraid to say a word to him at all. Um, but on the flip side, when she knew we were trying to work through things, she was respectful of that. She didn't like down me for it or, you know, what are you doing? You know, she, she didn't want to sever our relationship and, you know, maybe have me say, you're not coming over anymore or something. You know, she, she supported whatever my decision was, but she also went to bed every night in fear that she was gonna make a call that I was dead. You know, she lived that way the whole time I was with him, which, you know, thinking about that after the fact, you know, not that I didn't think of it at the time, but really think about it after the fact of what it did to my mom and how how she always had those that that feeling in her gut that she was going to get a call it was it was terrible. Like, I I feel awful that she went through that, you know, because of him. This isn't something I talk about hardly at all. You know, it's, it's really something that's tucked in the back, you know, way in the back of my mind. Um, so in you know, meeting you and getting to know you, you know, I, you know, and doing the, the wheel the other day, um, bringing forth a lot of it. I, I mean, I have worked through a lot of this over the years um, and toughened up to it, but, you know, thinking about certain incidents, especially if it involved the kids in some way, you know, definitely brought out some emotions, a little bit of trigger, um, which I mean, I, it's fine. I, I, you know, I feel like the more I talk about it, the better. I feel like suppressing is bad and I don't generally suppress anyways. Um, So talking about it and, you know, kind of putting it out there to me is a healthier way to deal with it.
0: So, Christy, is there anything that you would say that you want to say maybe to anybody listening that you want to just let people
1: know? I would say that if you are in a relationship like this, and in your mind, you know, everything that's happening is wrong, like everything is wrong, and that you really shouldn't be in this relationship, get out of it. Even if it means financially, you're going to struggle or or in any other way, because there is, to me, when you're in this situation, it is the one of the worst situations you could ever be in, because it's completely a it's a mind game. And you're, you as a person are worth more than this abuser. And as hard as it might seem, just, just go, just get out, go someplace safe, find somebody that, you know, maybe somebody from Caring Unlimited or an advocate or somebody that can, can help you navigate how to, how to continue on. Thank you,
0: Christy. And if what we are talking about sounds familiar, if someone in your life is making you afraid and controlling what you say, who you see, what you wear, what you do, say something. On our website, findingourvoices.net, you can see the faces and hear the voices of 43 Maine women who were trapped and now are free. We also provide an array of sister support services. Feel free to get in touch with me, Patricia, founder and president of Finding Our Voices at hello at findingourvoices.net. Every county in Maine has domestic abuse agency with advocates who understand it and believe you. The 24-7 hotline is at 1-866-834-HELP. And these groups, including Finding Our Voices, are also available if it is someone you love who is going through this or that you suspect is going through this. Thank you for listening to this show. And thank you to our terrific audio engineer, Tammy Opressa, and also to Roan Yellowthorn, a.k.a. Jackie Lee McLean, my daughter, for the music that opens and closes this show. Two weeks ago, Jackie was at the Camden Opera House with her band Roan Yellowthorn for a benefit concert that raised $2,000 for Finding Our Voices and gave every attendee a listening experience they will long remember. You can hear more of them at RoanYellowthorne.com, dot ncom Join us again on WERU-FM, second Friday of every month at 4 p.m. And you can listen to all previous 28 episodes of this show on our website, FindingOurVoices.net. And remember, love. Should feel good. It's been a long